0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, a very, very warm welcome to you all to our 10.30 service uh, with Holy Communion. And a very warm welcome to you if you're watching online. Uh, it's great that you're with us this morning. A special welcome if you're visiting uh, or if you're here for the first time. It's really great that you're able to join us. Uh, and if that's you, please do uh, catch me afterwards to say hello. It'd be lovely to get to know you uh, a little bit better. Uh, we're continuing our sermon series on Real Change uh, how we can have hearts changed by God and by His Spirit working in our hearts and lives. And this week, Neil's going to be looking at the question of thorns, um, and helping us reflect on the ways uh, in which the desires of our heart can drive ungodly responses to challenges or the heat uh, in our lives. But before we start, uh, let's just take a moment to pause. Uh, let's, uh, in fact, let's just close our eyes uh, for a moment. Uh, We may have uh, many distractions that are rushing through our minds. Uh, Things that we need to do after the service, things we need to do next week, worries or delights. All manner of things trying to occupy our minds and our hearts. Let's just take a moment uh, to deliberately put those things down. And let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we pray that this morning, that as we come into your presence by your Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. Remind us afresh of our need for you. Flood our heart with your love and fill our minds with knowledge and certainty of your goodness, mercy and love toward each one of us. Meet with us this morning and change us for our good and for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The psalmist writes this in Psalm 145, verses 10 through 13. He says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. It's a wonderful reminder, isn't it, Uh, That there is a king who sits on the throne. Uh, There is a king to whom all power, authority and dominion has been given. And no matter what is happening in the world or whatever is happening in our lives, the king is on the throne. And the king went to the throne through death and through resurrection, paying the price for our rebellion and being raised to new life so that our sins could be paid for. Now that's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Because of that we move from death to life. We move from death to life. And that causes us, as the psalmist says, to praise and to bless the name of our Lord. Let's pray
1: together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in worship and praise this morning, knowing that you are worthy of all honour, that you are holy... And no one can fathom your greatness. We thank you that you're powerful and able to do anything. That you are gracious and willing to forgive. And that your love has no limits. Lord, we come to you with thankful hearts. Thanking you for answered prayers. For your amazing provision. And for the wonderful knowledge we have of your saving grace. Let's just take a moment to personally say thank you in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we also know that when we think of all that you are, we realize that our own lives so often fall short of glorifying you. And Lord, we now take a moment to say sorry and ask for your forgiveness, knowing that you're gracious and merciful. You know, too, that we live in a world that is so impacted by the effects of sin, where lawlessness, violence, and conflict affect the poorest and most vulnerable, and where carelessness and greed damage the world that you've created. We pray that our leaders would act with integrity and that you would give them courage and wisdom to do what is right as they make laws, combat the pandemic, and approach the Climate Change Conference. We pray too that you would help us understand our own response and pray for James Leverton as he helps us think about this later today. We pray particularly for the families of Sarah Everard and Sabina Nessa in all that they're going through at this time. And we pray that our own lives would reflect your glory and that our words and actions would be full of your grace and truth And that we would bear good fruit in all that we do. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. And that nothing is impossible for you. We just pray that you'll be with Helen as she reads your word now. And feel near with your Holy Spirit as he preaches. We ask that we would be receptive and obedient to what you have to say to us today, Lord. Father, we ask all of these things in your precious name. Giving thanks to you, Lord. Amen.
2: Um, Today we have two readings from the Gospels. Um, The first reading is from Mark, and our second is from Luke. So first reading is Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 20. He went on, "'What comes out of a person is what defiles them. "'For it is from within, out of a person's heart, "'that evil thoughts come.' sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45... what the heart is full of.
3: Thanks very much, Helen. Good morning, everybody. Let's uh, pray as we come to to God's word. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart Father, we do thank you for your word and as we come to it now we pray that it would be active and would experience that word in our lives we pray that you would reveal to us the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts we pray you'd cleanse them we pray you'd make our hearts new we pray you do that in the strength of the Holy Spirit in Jesus name we pray Amen. Well, picture the scene. You're, um, on your way to an important meeting with a potential new client due to meet your boss outside their offices in three quarters of an hour's time. You jump in the car, head off, and then you realize the, uh, the petrol gauge is on red. Pull into the uh, service station down at Tame and you see this massive queue in front of you. You think, I'm sure I heard something about a fuel shortage on the radio, but I was so concentrating on this presentation I've got to give and checking whether I've still got it that I didn't really take it in. So you start to panic. How long is it going to take to get through this queue? You start to count the number of cars, you start to work out how long it's taken those to get through and whether you'll still have the time. You look in your your mirror and you see behind you, actually somebody else is in the same queue but they're taking the time to have a phone call with somebody have a bit of a laugh and enjoying that that moment whilst you're stressing and you're beginning to sweat but you get to the petrol pump and um, you think i oh, glad I've got my ESO app, I can pay pretty quickly don't even have to go inside but it's not connecting, it's not working how long am I going to leave this before it connects? you give up on that, you fill the car up, you run inside and there's another queue and you think, why is there only one person on the till? where are all these other assistants? Where have they got to? You're queuing up. You're now really looking at your watch thinking, am I going to get there in time? And the phone goes. And uh, you look at the number and it says, the school of your son. And um, this might be you, by the way. And um, you think I'd better take that one. And uh, it's the secretary of the school saying, Mrs. Johnson, I'm really sorry, but little Johnny is... um, He's not well, he really needs to be picked up and taken home. Think, yeah sure, that's fine, I'll be there very shortly. You quickly get on the phone to your husband who you know he's working at home today and he's not picking up. He's saying, pick up, pick up, come on, pick up. Anyway, you've paid, you got to the till, you're coming out of the, uh, the petrol station and you see in the car park, in the forecourt, there's somebody from your home group and they're looking really upset and they're crying. What do you do next? I don't say that story to make you feel even more stressed than maybe you do feel at the moment about life. Maybe I'm sure there's all sorts of issues going in your life and you can relate to those situations. What's that point of that story? It's to show the way we respond to situations in life, the so-called heat, that we looked at last week and often reveal what is going on in our hearts. What is most important to us? We don't know why that person was so desperate to get there on time. Maybe it was because she was afraid of her boss. She couldn't face the idea of being late for that very important meeting. Maybe it's actually because she was really driven and knew she'd got this great presentation and really wanted to make an impression and actually make a, a change to her career and really grow in it. Maybe it was actually she was going to give that up and just say, actually my child's the most important, I just need to go back to that school. I'm sure my boss will understand. Whatever it was, um, our heat reveals to us in the way we respond to it, what is going on in our hearts. As many of you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series at the moment called uh, Real Change, and in week one, we looked at um, uh, the question, why do I need to change? Why do I need to, to change? We saw how we've been made in the image of God to reflect his glory. That image was broken by the fall, but Jesus came to restore us into the image of God. At one level, that work is complete. He's achieved reconciliation between us and God through His sacrifice for us on the cross. But at another level, God is still continuing to change us into the likeness of Jesus with ever increasing glory as we prepare to go to be with Him one day, face to face. And therefore we want to cooperate with God in that process of change. Because the more we become like Jesus, the more we reflect his glory. As we read in 1 Corinthians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We want to change because we want to glorify God. But last week we looked at the heat um, that we can see on this diagram here, um, which we said refers to all the situations we, we face in life that put us under pressure in some way. And although we cannot escape the heat, you know, life and its uh, tough stuff will come to us, uh, whether we like it or not, the great encouragement was that God understands our struggles and he will enable us to grow through those different situations. He will enable us to grow more into the likeness And that's why we can rejoice in our trials. For that to happen, we need to be those who trust in the Lord, who were described in the passage in Jeremiah last week as being like a tree planted by water, as opposed to those who trust in people or themselves, who are described as being like a bush in the wasteland. A tree planted by water was a wonderful picture, wasn't it? Remember this this verse from Jeremiah, the blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, his confidence is in him. They'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And we'll come back to that tree in, in a couple of weeks when we look at what it means to be fruitful in our hearts. But this morning we need to take an honest look and what it is that causes us to respond badly to the heat, to those situations, to produce thorns instead of good fruit. What is it that causes us to think and behave in bad ways? And firstly, all of I'm sure, will agree that we all produce thorns. We all do things that we uh, regret and we feel ashamed about or even guilty about if we're christians then we may uh, be able to remember the things we used to do before we became christians that we we know were wrong and that we've stopped doing as the apostle paul writes in his letter to the colossians he says put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality impurity lust evil desires and greed which is idolatry because of these the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways and the life you once lived. He's saying put to death those ways of living. Turn your back on them. That's not you anymore. You are now a child of God. You're a different Lord of your life, a different purpose for, for living. But there's also a recognition that even as Christians we're still unable to be completely free from sin. We'll always have a a battle against it in this life as God continues to change us. And so he carries on in that, that passage. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There again, we have another reference to the fact that we have a a new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. God is restoring that broken image in us, and that process of change is still ongoing. There'll be things that we all still do, uh, but many of us may be blind to them or we don't maybe consider them serious. And many of them may be an ungodly response to the heat in our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. Rid yourselves of anger. How often do we get angry? <coughs> Excuse me. At something that has happened to us. And we blame someone else or we blame the situation. We even blame God himself. How often does that cause us to say something that we later regret? How often do we look for someone to, to offload to so they can feel sorry for us? Or together we can have a moan about um, the situation or that, that person, which then becomes slander, doesn't it? Would Jesus do that? You might think, well, oh, I don't have a problem with greed. Um, but again, how often when we're frustrated with life we're in that heat, do we feel, well, I'll make myself feel better by going and doing a bit of shopping? Maybe looking online for things, um, for the house, or maybe a new car, new clothes, maybe a holiday. It's a form of escapism, isn't it? Escapism from the heat. Escapism from the heat can also lead to sexual immorality, can lead to pornography. Do not lie to each other. It says, you might think, I don't, no, I don't care, I always tell the truth, don't have a problem with a with lying. But maybe you try and cope with the heat by pretending to others that actually you have no heat. Everything's fine in your life. You're okay, you've got it under control. Maybe your heat has been caused by a mistake you've made and, and you, you're trying to cover that because you're worried about what people might think of you if they knew what you had done. I'm sure we will all have asked ourselves at some point, why do I do the things I do? And when I look back at the events of the past week, why did that person make me angry what they said? Why did that news make me feel anxious? Why did I spend all that time doing that thing, whatever that was? Why was I worried about what that person thought of me? Or conversely, why did that person's appreciation of me make me feel so good inside? What makes me behave in a certain way? Where do my bad thoughts and feelings and ways of dealing with my heat come from? Well, the answer is from the heart. And Jesus tells us that in Mark 7, doesn't he? He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, That evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The Bible talks about the heart, the inside. What it's referring to is not the physical organ, but the inner person. It's describing our thoughts and our desires. It's easy to focus on behavior and think, uh, um, well, I haven't committed sexual, uh, sexual morality, or adultery. I, I must be okay. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Likewise, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, it doesn't, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister, does it say that? <laughs> it doesn't come, it doesn't come, will be subject to judgment. We might not have committed adultery. We might not have murdered somebody. But if we've had lustful thoughts or become angry with someone, we fail to live in a way that God wants us to live. It's easy to focus on changing our outward behavior, maybe keeping a lid on our anger. But lasting change will only happen if we get to the root of our hearts. Jesus says in that other passage that was read for us from Luke 6, no good tree It's because it has good roots. Likewise, if a tree bears bad fruits or thorns, it's because it has bad roots and insufficient water. And just as a tree's fruit reveals how healthy the tree is, so a person's behavior reveals what's in their hearts. Because actions and words come from the heart, Jesus says. And as we said last week, the the key to understanding our behavior is understanding our hearts. I quoted Tim Chester, who said, Only when we understand the role of our hearts can we truly understand the role of our circumstances in sin. Our struggles and temptations often trigger sin, but they never cause it. We choose how we respond to circumstances, and what determines our choices are the thinking and desires of our hearts. And in that passage we looked at last week, it said the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And that is why we need to turn to God to enable us to understand our hearts and to ask him to cure them. Because we're often blind to the state of our hearts. We don't understand why we do the things we do. We take anger. There are some things it's right to get angry about. For example, if we see somebody else being unfairly treated or abused. But think about the last time you got angry. Was it about someone else being unfairly treated or was it actually about you being unfairly treated? Why did maybe you get angry but somebody else in that same situation remain quite calm? Is it possible that you became angry because you, you couldn't get what you wanted? The situation triggered your anger but it was in your heart that made you respond the way you did. As it says in James 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. In a recent survey, more than... One-fifth of adults experienced a complete breakdown of a relationship with either family, friends, colleagues, or neighbors during lockdown. And a quarter of people reported worsening relationships with their spouse or partner. When two people living together put their own needs first, it will inevitably lead to conflict, and each will blame the other. There may be many reasons given for the breakdown of a marriage, um, different expectations of roles, different attitudes towards sex and money, the influence of extended family, different cultural upbringings, different approach to conflict resolution, etc., etc. But the main reason is neglect. Our selfish hearts have caused us to focus on our needs at the expense of those of our husband or wife. It's the desires of our hearts that determine our behavior. And sometimes what we want may not actually be a bad thing in and of itself. For example, we may like some some peace and quiet in the evening after a long day's work. The thing is that preference, I would like a nice quiet evening, may grow to become a desire. I will be happy if I get peace this evening. And then a need. Unless I get peace this evening, I won't be able to function well tomorrow in my work. Which in turn can become an entitlement. I work hard during the day and therefore I deserve peace this evening. Until it finally becomes a demand. Can't you just leave me in peace for two minutes? And before we know it, we've become resentful and angry and taken it out on our spouse, our children or even our dog. We may express that anger in different ways according to our background or personality. We may be, be rhinos and become aggressive and confrontational. We may be hedgehogs and uh, bury our heads in the sand and give the silent treatment. But either way, the problem of the heart is still the same. We did not get what we thought we deserved. So what is going on in our hearts? Well, Hebrews four says, as I read out earlier on, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes or the intentions or desires of the heart. we do in our inner person, in our hearts, is first of all, we trust. We think and try and make sense of of life, decide what is worth putting our trust in, which as we looked at last week is either ourselves, ultimately, or other people, or God. And we worship. We desire or we treasure certain things or people. We're all by nature those who trust and worship, because we were created God's image, we were designed to trust in Him and to worship Him. And we produce thorns. In other words, we respond to situations in a bad way when we don't trust in God more than anyone else, or we don't worship God more than anything or anyone else. To trust in God is to believe that He is God, that He's in control. That he loves us in Jesus Christ. And he will give us more than we can ever imagine or ask for. To worship God is to find our greatest joy in God. And when we do that, actually what we're doing is we're glorifying him, aren't we? We're finding our greatest joy and delight in him. And so every time we sin, we're failing to acknowledge that. Take the sins of sexual morality or adultery. What they reveal in our hearts is that we do not trust that God is able to provide us with lasting satisfaction. And therefore we take things into our own hands. They also reveal that we worship short-term physical pleasure more than an eternal intimate relationship with the Almighty God. Or take lying or, or manipulation. If we're trying, if we're lying to get something we want, it reveals that we do not trust that God will give us what he knows, what is best for us. I Instead, we're taking things into our own hands and um, we're worshipping something that we want more than God. If we're lying to avoid the consequence of something we've done and to avoid people thinking badly of us, it reveals in our hearts we worship our own reputation, our own popularity more than God. Our sins come from hearts that are failing to trust in God or are failing to worship God. It's the same with our negative emotions. They, they come from hearts that are failing to trust in God or to worship Him. Take anxiety. I know there are complex issues at work in, in, in the whole issue of anxiety, but at the heart of anxiety is an inability to trust that God is a good God who wants the best for us, who's in control, of every aspect of our lives. If we are Christians, we should long to be those who put their trust in God, to be those who worship God with all of our lives and so become fruitful and distinct from those around us. And so as we do so, we'll be giving God the glory, causing people to, to turn towards him, to think, who is this, this God that, that that person trusts and that they worship? What is so special about him. Why does that mean that everything in our life somehow falls into the right perspective? It's not often easy to, to know the state of our hearts. And so there's some questions here which um, uh, we can help use to diagnose our hearts. And uh, they're in the, 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 the discussion questions as well, which we'll be looking at in home groups. But here's a few of them. First of all, just think about those times when you do produce thorns, when you sin in response to a a situation going on in your life. Ask yourself these questions. What or whom am I worshipping in the way I've responded? What is it that's most important to me? In what or whom am I trusting? What or whom am I trusting? What exactly am I fearing Worrying about in the stress of this situation is causing me to be worried. What is it exactly? Who is it I'm in trying to impress? Where am I looking for my happiness? What is most important to me? What do I think I deserve? What are my rights? What are my entitlements? And what am I spending my time just thinking or dreaming about? If you feel this sermon series has so far focused on the the negative stuff, the state of our hearts, it's because we first need to acknowledge the problem before we can appreciate the solution. As Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. In other words, the more we appreciate the depth of our sin, the state of our hearts, the more we'll be grateful to God for dealing with them. The more we'll be able to express our gratitude to God in love for him and for, for others. The solution to a sinful heart will be found in repentance as we, we worship God instead of ourselves or any other created thing. We'll be found in faith as we believe and trust in God instead of ourselves again or any other created thing as we receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that we'll look at these things next week the good news is we have a saviour Jesus Christ who is willing to do the most loving thing that we can possibly think of because while we were still sinners he died for us and so as we come to the Lord's table to To remember that and express our gratitude to him for that. We have a chance to, first of all, mourn our sin that made Christ's sacrifice necessary. But also to rejoice in his love that made him prepared to give up his life for our sakes. In Corinthians 11, it says, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So let's take a moment now before we come to the Lord's Supper to do that in quiet reflection as we examine our hearts and confess our sins to God. A moment of quiet.
0: Uh, we come now to Holy Communion. Uh, This is a meal that the Lord Jesus uh, instigated to help us remember uh, what's been done for us in and through his work on the cross. As we come to the table, uh, we remember that we have been rescued from bondage to sin. That By God's amazing grace and his mercy that we have moved from death to life as Christ died in our place for us to make us right with our Heavenly Father. Uh, this was done not because we are worthy, but because God is good. Not because of what we bring to the table, but because of everything God did in and through Christ at Calvary. Now, Paul reminds us in Romans 5 that whilst we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And he goes on. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Saving us from the wrath of God and reconciling us to God. So we come to the table to remember the love of God revealed in the death of God's one and only son. To, the, to remember the death of God's only son for us in our place of our redemption at an infinitely great price leading to our reconciliation with our heavenly father. And that's the drama. That we are invited to enter and to remember as we come to receive communion this morning. So as we come to receive the bread and the wine, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ our Lord. Your word of love made flesh. Who shared our humanity and revealed your grace. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name forever. So, Heavenly Father, fill us with your spirit that as we share this bread and wine, we might feed spiritually on the body and blood of Christ and be empowered for witness and service in your world. This is an invitation that's extended to all of you who know and trust in Christ Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, trusting in his sacrifice for us to receive the bread and the wine. If you're not in that place, it's great that you're with us here this morning, uh, and please do feel free to let the bread and the wine pass you by without any awkwardness. And When you do receive uh, the cup, do peel off the top to reveal the wafer and the wine, and we'll celebrate together. So as the servers come forward, the band is going to play quietly, This Is My Desire. And as they play, please do remain seated and use this time as a time for prayer and reflection. The Apostle Paul tells us of the institution of the Lord's Supper. He writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant. Sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. So drink this cup. Remember that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. God of grace, you have called us to be your disciple people and gathered us to your table. Here we have tasted the bread of heaven and shared the new wine of your kingdom. Empower us by your spirit that we may be a gospel people and good news for all the world, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we journey through the service, if there's something that you would like to have prayer for this morning, then please do uh, come to the front or down here to to my right, and there'll be a prayer ministry team who'll be able to pray with you or pray with uh, the person uh, that you came uh, along with uh, this morning. Uh, if that's not you, can I encourage you to promptly make uh, an exit from uh, this room. And just to remind you, if you would like to join the rota for teas and coffees, uh, please do have a chat with me afterwards. So it'd be great to, uh, to have you looking after that ministry. So as we go out, some Romans, some words from Romans 5, uh, 3 verse, verses 3 through 5. Paul writes this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Father we pray that you would be at work powerfully in our hearts and lives in the week ahead. Ready us joyfully and winsomely to point people to you. Amen.